Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast, presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with the promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Buck Sanders and Jason Staples. You're listening to the Inside Carolina podcast, sponsored by Jersey Mike's of Chapel Hill. Guys, we don't really have a game to talk about, uh, but first and foremost, I wanted to say many thanks to all the folks that have been helping the hurricane relief, the hurricane rescues, all the first responders. Buck, I'll I'll go to you first to know that uh, you have some interest down at the coast, and I I wanted you to let the readers know how you've fared thus far. Yeah, we're, we're in pretty good shape down there. We didn't lose any trees. The rain fall totals haven't been uh, as high as what we feared they would be. There's been no flooding yet. Of course, we're in some cro- uh, close proximity to some of the rivers down there, and we'll have to keep an eye on them as they begin to crest. One of the things I'm worried about, uh, I'm going to get back down there as quickly as I can this week at some point to check on things, is the ability to just get down there. Uh, the situation with the Lumber River and, and you know other places like that. I just want to make sure I've got a clear path to even get there. So, but other than that, so far so good. We just have to keep an eye on the on the rivers in that area. Yeah, some of the news reports coming out, um, it's just incredible. It, what was interesting to me is we didn't get much coverage from Oak Island, Castle Beach area where we like to go. That was one of the national stations was down there doing that and. Atlantic Beach and the Crystal Coast, just incredible uh, amounts of water and wind consistently. And it's still going. I mean, it's still pouring outside of my house. And most folks I live know that I live up towards Raleigh Way. But Jason, you mentioned a tree. I mean, it's just just going on all over the place. Uh, Folks don't understand that these categories don't mean much. When talking about water sports. matters a lot yeah <laughs> that's I mean, not measured by the categories yeah everybody sees oh it's, it's gone down to category one or whatever yeah that's just the wind and i don't know i've been around a, a good while I was through floyd and fran certainly and uh i don't remember it raining as much as it has as in those and the flooding there was catastrophic Let's try to turn we, it towards. And go and ahead. We, we lost, by the way. I mean, I'm surprised you had you, you you've had it as as good as you had so far, Buck. I mean, because we're pretty far inland. Uh, you know, we're we're not in anywhere near the uh, the danger zone, and we we've lost what uh, four trees, and then there's one that's it's kind of threatening now. So yeah, it's uh, <laughs> and it's and we didn't even have that high winds, like you said, Tommy. It's not necessarily about that. The combination of water and wind can do it. Yeah, anything, water will get anything in its path. And uh, then you toss in a little bit of wind. And yeah, those trees that have been around forever will disappear in a heartbeat and cause serious, serious consequences. Let me try to turn a little bit towards football. Of course, Carolina UCF canceled. Hey, they didn't didn't lose this weekend. And it counted towards the suspension. So that was a win-win for North Carolina. (laughs) Jason, let me talk about your team briefly and just the (laughs) ACC and, Buck, I want your comments as well. I mean, I see Syracuse just beat the hell out of Florida State. Yes, they did. And, and it was worse than the score, 30-7, and, and it could have been a lot worse. Hey, what bizarro world 
is this college football season thus far, Jason? Well, um, <laughs> you've, you've got a few blue blood programs that certainly haven't looked like it. Uh, now, one thing I will say is that, you know, you look at Chip Kelly starting 0-2, Scott Frost starting 0-2, uh, you know, Sumlin out at, at, out at Arizona starting 0-2, Taggart at Florida State starting 0-2 and 50, uh, 54-10 point differential against FBS competition so far. So, uh, and uh, right now, here, here's, here's a good one for you. For Carolina fans who feel like the performance, and it has been, it has been unacceptable, who feel like the performance has been unacceptable, they're right. But think about this, Florida State's offense right now ranks 106th out of 130th or lower nationally right now in yards per play, points per game, yards per rush, yards per pass, passer rating, sacks allowed per game, tackles uh, allowed per, third down percentage, red zone percentage, red zone touchdown percentage, and first downs per, per game. 106th or worst nationally in those categories for Florida State's offense. And that's Florida State. They, they actually have a few players on that roster. So, <laughs> It's incredible to me. And, but we talked about it off air. Um, of course, everybody notices and watches Carolina that listens to this podcast predominantly. But on a weekend where Carolina's not playing, you have the opportunity to go watch some of these teams. And I watched some of that Florida State. And, Buck, never have I seen Carolina's offensive line as bad as it's been, looked like Florida State's offensive line did against Syracuse, specifically those tackles. Yeah, that was pretty ugly. And uh, I didn't see it, but I read this morning that uh, some of the, uh, well, Francois just refused to allow some of the offensive members, uh, offensive line members, to pick him up off the ground after a play. He was so disgusted with them. So when it gets like that, that's, that is a very bad sign, and it's a very bad sign moving forward for Florida State because that's not something you can fix week to week, I don't think. No, uh, it isn't. It, it isn't. There's a serious culture problem down in Tallahassee that's been developing for quite a while. And, you know, I've talked to some folks down there, and, and this spring I was told there's a lot of talent here. You know, we got some weaknesses. You know, you're going to have to stay healthy on the offensive line, which they haven't. They The, the one place they couldn't lose anybody was an offensive tackle. And they lost two offensive tackles in the first game. So, you know, that, that, that kind of hurt. But uh, the only two, basically only two tackles they had. Um, but uh, then, then they said, you know, we got some, ta- we got plenty of talent, but culture wise, it's going to take, it's going to take about probably two years to catch up culturally to where we need to be. And I listened and everything and was, okay, that's, doesn't sound real good. And, you know, I've seen some evidence of that, but, you know, we'll, we'll see. And, Man, they did not undersell that. <laughs> Let I didn't me, take it seriously enough. Uh, what that might be. It's incredible, though, that that it can get so bad certain places. Let me bend it towards North Carolina. And, Buck, this is all Carolina-related. I'll get there. Um, but Maryland beat Texas. Maryland got, uh, to use your term, boat raced by Temple. And then Texas <laughs> beats USC. Uh, handily. Handily. And then on the ACC side, P- 
Pitt gets blitzed by Penn State, who almost lost to App State, and then Pitt beats Georgia Tech, Buck Pitt comes to Keenan Stadium on Saturday, and we'll talk about it much more uh, this week. But I don't know how you can expect anything this season, at least thus far, how you can have any predictive measure on these games thus far. And as upside down as the Atlantic division of the ACC is, say, for Clemson, the Coastal's not much different. Your thoughts there? Well, uh, let's uh, let's start out by saying that, uh, you know, uh, be careful when you're looking for coaching saviors. Um, you know, you, you see it's been a stunning, really, that uh, what, Jimbo Fisher's doing okay at A&M. He's doing fine. Did lose that early game to Clemson. But look at some of the other hires. You know, Scott Frost is – 0-2 now? Is that – that? I think I'm saying that right. That's right, yeah. That Scott Nebraska. Frost and, and uh, Chip Kelly both both start starting their uh, their highly publicized uh, new programs, 0-2. Yeah. And, and you, you look at somebody like Arizona State that hired uh, Herm, Herm Edwards, Edwards, Herm Edwards. Which, was, which they were universally paying for doing. And uh, they started out the season uh, beating San Antonio, which wasn't news. But then they uh, beat number 15, Michigan State. Um, they just lost to at San Diego State. But still, it, that, that hire of Herm Edwards was universally panned across the board. And it's early days yet. I'm sure that Scott Frost will probably go on at Nebraska and have a great career. And, I'd be shocked if, if Skip Kelly doesn't turn things around, um, you know, at UCLA. But at the same time, it's not like you're going to bring in somebody to a, a college football program and, and he's going to be able to flip a switch. And all of a sudden, all the ills and problems and uh, roster issues and things of that nature are automatically going to go away. So, it's it's a sobering kind of start to the the, the 2018 season when we've seen these things. Um, and, you know, the thing that maybe the, might have impressed me the most on this weekend was uh, Troy beating uh, Nebraska. And Neil Brown must be a really good coach uh, because he has a habit of beating big-time programs you know, every year it was LSU he beat last year, Troy beat last year. Um, you know, it, to me, that's that's got to be something I would look at if I was an AD. Is that who is it that you know records are records, but who is it that can come in, take a team that by any objective measure has far less talent than the other team, and win? And, and win in their house and not make it look fluky. Um, that's an that's an interesting thing thing to me for the start of this 2018 season. The coastal division, that last part of your question, who knows? I mean, I thought Georgia Tech would be really good this year. And for Pitt to shut down 
Georgia Tech's offense, which they basically did. They only gave up um, 19 points in that in that game. That that's pretty impressive to me. Um, and um, I'm looking at the box score now, or checking the box score, and trying to see how many rushing yards uh, Georgia Tech uh, Georgia Tech got. And they got 320 yards of rushing, but still lost. So it'd be interesting to see what happens when uh, Pitt's got to be feeling pretty good about themselves about now. Um, and North Carolina is not. And, and sometimes it's about psyche. And we'll just have to see what happens this Saturday in terms of um, how much the start to the season has affected morale. I think I think that might be one of the biggest takeaways for the game on Saturday. And and I'm going to chime in there real quick. Going back to what you just said about psyche, again, what what I've been told down in Tallahassee was, you know, we we've got players. There's some holes on the roster. You know, they don't, we don't have enough in terms of in terms of offensive linemen. Going to have to stay healthy in key spots, but the culture is the problem. You know, we're going to have, we, we've got a long way to go to rebuild the culture. We've got a lot of problems. And psyche, what you called it, culture, uh, these are things that make it, that, that, that really are the, are the biggest distinguisher once you get to this level between at least teams in similar tiers. I mean, you can sometimes get by being really talented with some culture issues if you're playing a team that's just flat overmatched, but you might, you might get beat. But, Colton, the, the margins in college football are so, so thin. And when you, when you have some, some issues in terms of, of culture, confidence, psyche, whatever, that's going to be that, – that, that, that can really – that can take you from being an eight- or a nine-win team, a ten-win team, to being a two- or a three-game team real quick because the margins are, are, so, are so thin. Hold that thought there, Jason, because I want to get deeper into that. But let me ask you, do you need a quick and easy lunch or tailgate option for football season? Jersey Mike's Subs of Chapel Hill is your place to go for a tasty and efficient dining solution. Our guys at Jersey Mike's of Chapel Hill have partnered with Inside Carolina to offer a great deal for the IC Podcast listeners. Right now, use the code HEELS15, get 15% off your order. This is online promotion only. Use it for your lunch, a small group, or a big tailgating order. Here's how it works. Go to jerseymikes.com front slash order. It'll show locations nearest you. Click your order. Pick your favorite sub and at checkout enter Heels 15 and get that 15% off. Skip the line. Head straight to the register. Grab your food and you're on your way. Do it today. Place an online order at one of four Chapel Hill and Hillsborough locations. It's super easy process. Remember, Hills 15. There's three locations in Chapel Hill on Elliott Road, off MLK, right off 40, and at Falcon Bridge Shopping Center on 54, right off I-40 as well. And the one in Hillsborough, again, right off I-40, exit 261. Look for Jersey Mike's inside Keenan Stadium and with the tailgate guys this fall. And coming soon... Two new locations open near Briar Creek Chapel in Chatham County and off 15501 on the way to Durham. No denying that Jersey Mike subs are delicious, so take advantage of this deal and support the IC podcast. You know, I was thinking back in my day, people didn't get upset by lesser teams. You know, going to get off my lawn mode here. Lesser teams didn't come in. They might scare 
um, one of the powerhouses, but they didn't come in and they didn't win because football is a 60 minute game. Uh, it, you know, the adrenaline wears off, blah, 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 blah. But Jason, you mentioned that and Buck, I want your comments as well. You mentioned the psyche. It seems these days, and this is not an indictment on anybody in particular, but it seems these days that everybody has to have everything perfect for them to give 100% to the program they're in. Am I wrong there, Jason? It seems like that, you know, more and more and more and more sports in general, and I guess probably life, and it probably has something to do with social media in there. We can throw that under the bus too, but it seems to me that it is tougher on a coach to get complete buy-in from his guys, especially 85 or more of them, uh, to do what they're supposed to do these days. I mean, am I missing something there? Is that just me thinking that back in my day it was different? Guys, if they don't want to play, they're not going to play. And it seems like it used to be if you're there, you're going to play and you're going to play hard. Your thoughts on that or am I just kind of pissing it in the wind a little bit to see to explain how these upsets, how these programs that fluctuate so much these days come and go. I mean, what's going on there? I, I do think that's a factor, but in terms of, you know, it, it is harder now to get players to, to do what they're asked to buy in completely. I mean, culturally, we're much more a culture now that says why uh, in terms of, you know, when, when a coach says, you know, do this assignment, players are less likely to just go out and, and run through that wall uh, just and do it hard as a, uh, a you know, as a matter of course. So you, you, you are going to see that, but there are some other differences that I think are bigger in terms of why it's so much harder now. One is, uh, you know, years ago, the level of exposure that the lower level teams had was a lot less. You, you didn't have, Troy on national television or, you know, accessible via, you know, via, uh, via TV. You didn't have TV coverage of Troy games every week. And now, you know, Troy is on, you can, you can get, if you're interested, you can get a Troy game every week, just about. And that, so that's one factor. The, uh, another factor that's probably the biggest, well, maybe the second biggest, I'll go, I'll go in reverse order here. The, another huge factor is the 85 scholarship limit which didn't kick in until the, until the mid nineties. So before the mid nineties, you had, you had teams hoarding a lot more. The top teams were hoarding a lot more of the, of the best talent. So instead of adding another, you know, instead of your Florida States and your, your uh, Alabama's and Florida's and Miami's and so on at that time, adding another 10, four and high, you know, four star type kids and high three star type kids to the, uh, to their rosters, those extra 10 players are going to lower level teams that can, that can, uh, that can, that can actually use those players to potentially beat you. And that makes a huge difference as you distribute those players across the board. Uh, and then as you go a little bit further from that, another, another major impact is scheme. So, you know, when we were younger, basically everybody would play in a phone booth. You'd have I formation, you'd have, you know, power I, you'd have these lower level teams coming in and trying to play lineman for lineman with the higher level teams. And 
you know, the place where the, where the difference, the biggest differences are, but even now between your elite teams or even your very good teams and the low level teams is on the line of scrimmage. So you're going to play a power eye and you're going to come in and you're going to play, uh, say a Florida state or a, uh, or a Clemson or somebody who's loaded and you're going to, you're going to try to butt your head against that multiple times. Yeah. You're going to get your brains beat in, but now all these teams are coming in they may have say two or three guys that were just, you know, track track kids in high school that were, you know, high two stars, but they ran 10, (laughs) five. And, you know, now, now they're upset because they weren't recruited by that team and they, they come in with a chip on their shoulder, a couple breaks go the other way. And those kids have, you know, they, they account for three or four touchdowns because you got nobody that can quite run with them. And they've got, you know, two guys that cause that problem for you. And because of the way matchups work now and teams are taking much more advantage of, of matchup issues on the edge and all that, that can be enough to, to pull an upset. So there are a lot of factors now that make this game. A, there's a lot more parity now. And, uh, and, and you, you just have, it's a different game now than it was when we were growing up. Uh, when we were younger and you know it, it's harder on coaches at the top level to sustain success because the teams are much there's a lot more parity uh, than there used to be with the exception of really with the exception of Alabama who uh, it's not you know, it's they, not fair I yeah, mean this, they, watching them is just simply not fair they 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 have uh, they have hoarded talent as though they 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 don't have an 85 scholarship limit uh, as as though they don't really even need to give scholarships at this point and yeah, with with, with two at quarterback, uh, that, that's good luck, everybody. <laughs> yeah, I can't see, and maybe they will, but I, the way Alabama looks, it's just that they ain't losing. They're um, going to average fifty a game if they want to. They'll name their score most of the year. Buck, your thoughts on the evolving? It, it's interesting to me. Jason talks about scheme. There's some discussion on our message boards that maybe the you know, the hurry up, no huddle sort of run its course, um, at least maybe in Chapel Hill. But you look at and see all these teams that are doing it and doing it successfully and pulling these upsets and doing these uh, different, you know, quote unquote gimmicky things on offense and having success. Your thoughts on just the evolving nature of the sport, um, maybe in the last 10, 15, 20 years, because when App State beat Michigan, that was just huge. And one or two or three of those upsets are happening every year at this point. Buck, your thoughts? All that Jason said and Tommy that you alluded to is all true. And you mentioned that Appalachian State game. That that game is now 12 seasons old. That happened in 07. And you know, the the spread offense has been around now for a decade or so. And you're beginning, I think, they say this every year, and I usually uh, poo-poo those arguments that, oh, it's all cyclical and, you know, the offenses will take a step back and defenses will take a step forward. And uh, I think there's some of that at work, but these days I don't think there's any going back. There's there's no going back. And I think no matter what version of the spread you're running, whether it's a run-heavy sort of spread offense or a pass-heavy spread offense, the key to 
to all of them, I believe. And this may explain a little bit of UNC's and even Florida State's problems this year is that probably more so than ever, the quarterback is critical to the success of an offense. Uh, you, you look at some teams that um, one year, pretty much, they, they don't have a good quarterback. Uh, take the example of maybe West Virginia. Uh, you know, they didn't have a quarterback for a year or two. Uh, and then all of a sudden, they get Will Greer, and they become pretty good. So there's, there's, I think that factor, whether it's, uh, whether you have a an offense that utilizes a run pass type of quarterback, or uh, an, an offense that relies more on a, a sort of a traditional drop back passer. That guy has really got to make good decisions these days, and he's got to have all the physical tools and talents or your offense is going nowhere. So I think that explains a lot of, of problems that you know, certain teams, particularly the one that we cover, uh, has experienced in the, in the last two years. It's not and, – and talent, having talent is a great thing, no question, it's particularly on defense. You've got to have talent, and, and that talent, as Jason alluded to, is spread a little wider than it used to be before the 85 uh, scholarship limit. But talent does not guarantee success. That's the thing. You, you, if you're going to win at a high level, you've got to have talent. But you can have talent and still lose. So it, it's uh, that's what makes college football college football and, and why we see so many upsets. Um, usually every year, and a lot of times they happen early. And then maybe towards the end of the season, we see fewer upsets because teams have had time to gel and work out the kinks and, and get some of their problems solved. But, yeah, um, you know, I, I just think that college football, one of the reasons why I'm so fascinated with it, and probably Jason's fascinated with it, is its complexity. Uh, a change here or there can make a big difference. And then the, all the intangibles that we talked about earlier, um, you know, the the psyche or uh, the culture. And, and we probably should dedicate an entire podcast to just talking about when people are talking about culture, what are they exactly talking about? What do they mean when they say that the culture is very, very bad? Um, is it sort of, uh, you know, in complete selfishness on the part of the players. They're only out for themselves. They don't really care about the team. Uh, they're under a coaching staff that didn't recruit them. Uh, maybe their previous position coach they had a great relationship with and they knew where they stood in the picking order. Now they've got somebody else in the room and, and it's not the same as it was. And so they're just marking time. There's so many things that go on in the game of college football with is almost impossible to understand now, Alabama. Even Alabama had their struggles. Uh, I don't know if people remember the name Mike Shula very well. Um, but, you know, Alabama went through their time of doubt and pain as well. Um, so there, there aren't any guarantees even for elite programs. And when you're not on the elite program, you've got to have a lot of things go right 
to, to get to that high wind total level and stay there consistently. Yeah. I, and I'm going to, I'm going to jump one more thing, uh, Buck, that you, you, you said that I want to emphasize and that's about the quarterback position. Uh, when, when that's, that's the other thing, the combination of the 85 scholarship limit uh, that I'd mentioned and uh, what Tommy, you, you started with in terms of what's different, uh, you know, what players, you know, are they, you know, they do, do they not follow, you know, as easily or whatever. One thing that is very different is now in, in large measure because of just looking at, at potential future paychecks and all of that. Uh, and, you know, it's perfectly logical that they're, that they're doing this. Um, the, if you are, if you're a quarterback and you have not won the job, if you're, if you're a top level quarterback and you have not won the job by the time you're say a sophomore, then you're transferring, you move on. And if you're a top level quarterback and you know, this is, this is the crazy thing. You look at Jimbo Fisher at Florida state, he put three quarterbacks in a row into the first round of the NFL draft. And you'd think that right there would get every quarterback in the country beaten down his door to go play for him. But then you look at what happened, and because Jameis Winston won the Heisman Trophy as a redshirt freshman, they struggled for two years to try to get quarterbacks on campus because guys knew that they wouldn't be playing right away. That well, you guys got your quarter, and then Jameis left early after his sophomore year, and they didn't have anybody in the pipeline because Jameis's backup was was Jake Coker, and when Jameis won the job, Coker transferred. Now Coke, and then went went and won a national title at Bama, when he would have been starting the same year at Florida State because Jameis had left. But at that point, Florida State was starting a guy that they that they'd recruited as a to be a career backup, just as depth, a practice arm, and that can completely submarine your program. And it's much harder now to recruit uh, college quarterbacks. And, and I think it's actually kind of similar now. Recruiting quarterbacks at the college level is kind of like uh, the 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 way that you have to recruit in college baseball. In college baseball, you have to you have to recruit players that are that are really really good, the best possible players you can recruit who are not going to be like first to fifth round draft picks in the in the uh, MLB draft. If you if you sign too many elite players, you're not going to get them because they're going to go to they're going to go to MLB. But you have to find you have to evaluate those guys who are just good enough to be elite college players within the next three years, and not so good that they're going to get drafted by the MLB. It's kind of like that in college football with with quarterback recruiting. You have to be able to land that elite guy, your Mitch Trubisky, and then somehow find a way to to sustain that and continue that either by recruiting another elite guy just just in in time to to manage to pick up where that where where the the former one left off or you have to find a way to uncover some hidden you know better than better than uh, than his rating and that's much harder to find now too because of the advent of of the recruiting services which are which have much more coverage than they used to have you know in the 90s the the programs found players now every almost every player in the country is already known by the time he's a junior so it's much harder to uncover that diamond in the rough uh, quarterback who knows that he can go to Miami of Ohio and play, you know, play 15 years in the NFL like big Ben, because he's going to be starting early. So it, it's just a much harder to have sustained success at quarterback. And it's more important than ever because of the offenses that everybody runs. So 
it, it it's it's just so much harder to just sustain success in college. The, the 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 margins are so thin. All right, boys, this is a good one. You want a simple, easy, better way to travel to UNC football and basketball games? Now's your chance. Hills Travels partnered with Inside Carolina to provide simple and easy travel for select UNC away games. Chuck Joyce, the president of Away to Go Travel, is a Greensboro native and a diehard Carolina fan, and he wanted to find an easier, better way, and more efficient way for Carolina fans to get to away games. So right now, HillsTravel.com is selling packages to get you to the Virginia game in Charlottesville on October 27th. This is a one-day bus trip from Chapel Hill. They pick you up. They take you to the stadium and they bring you home. All you have to do is show up, cheer for the Tar Heels, and ride the bus. Leaves should be changing. Should be a great chance to check out a great town and be there for Carolina and Virginia, the oldest rivalry in the South. Make the process easy. Ride with other diehard UNC fans, and don't worry about parking or having to drive. It is a win-win situation. Visit HillsTravel.com now or call 336 855 zero zero six zero there's no better way to spend a holiday than watching the Tar Heels play basketball in the desert no less in Las Vegas even better Heels Travels offering a package that includes round trip airfare from RDU round trip ground transportation from the airport to the hotel and three nights at the Aria Resort and Casino in Vegas no better time spent in Vegas to see the Tar Heels visit HeelsTravel.com now or call 336-855-0060. Support Chuck Joyce and Away to Go Travel and help them support the IC podcast. Buck, that you know that brings in the recruiting. It brings in uh, the player development. I mean, where's your importance lie there in that regard to Jason's point about the quarterbacks? I mean, Carolina had Trubisky in, the, in their pocket, and Trubisky sat and watched for two years, and then – got his chance and blew up and then went pro. How does that, how did, how is Carolina in that position that they're in now? Um, at least seemingly as it appears that they're in where they had that success with Trubisky, they got lucky with Trubisky wanting to sit and not transfer. Um, and, and now here we are in a situation that Carolina, um, doesn't really have a proven commodity in this year seven of Fedora's Fedora's stint in Chapel Hill. And Bailey Hockman would be the starter, by the way, right now, if he hadn't decided to go to Florida State, where he just transferred from. Yeah. it's it, Jason's exactly right. I mean, and uh, the college Wait, baseball. Can you, can you say that again, Buck? I, I, my, my connection, I think, you know, with the hurricane might have. <laughs> well, uh, Jason, I don't think uh, – it, it's beyond me to uh, I know, to I say know. that I just, you could be that, that you could be right about something. Now, Tommy, it's I was going to say, why you got? Why do you have to throw me under the bus? <laughs> why can't we just leave it at Jason's right? <laughs> that doesn't have to be an or or an either or a but. <laughs> uh, now you've almost made me lose my train of thought. Oh, yeah, but there fortunately, you go. fortunately, I, I haven't. So uh, the the thing about <laughs> Uh, the thing about uh, the analogy that I would use is it's almost like free agency with um, college quarterbacks anymore. And Jason's exactly right. If, if you don't, if you're not the starter, by the time you're a sophomore, well, you're going to look around and nobody is going to blame you. I mean, there might be some diehard fanatics, you know, somewhere at 
and say, well, it's more prestigious to be a backup quarterback at, you know, Ohio State than it is to, you know, throw for 4,000 yards someplace else. Well, it's not, you know, and, and the whole thing that plays back into that, fold back in the whole, uh, the exposure that, that players get, you know, it's, it's not uncommon, you know, for the NFL to find players that aren't playing on elite teams that do very, very well in NFL, the quarterback position. So, uh, you know, uh, you, you take uh, Aaron Rodgers, you know, California is, is a, not a powerhouse uh, school in, even though we, UNC made them look that way, uh, <laughs> in the Pac-12. But, you know, uh, you know, the NFL didn't have any problem finding Aaron Rodgers. Uh, they didn't have any problem finding Brett Favre. Um, you know, the the ability of the NFL with, and the resources they have available to them, you know, they're going to find quarterbacks that you know have the physical tools and have what it takes between the ears, and then build around those guys. So, um, it, it back to the to the uh, rising sophomore in the in the college ranks. Uh, take Will Greer. I'll, I'll come back to him in a second. How many schools did he go to? I, I know that he went to Florida for a while. Did he commit someplace else or transfer some? I can't remember exact his personal story, but I do know that he was at Florida and then ultimately wound up at West Virginia. So um, it's it's really difficult for North Carolina right now how they ended up in this position because. They had a solid, what makes it even worse, they had a solid run of quarterbacks for a long time. T.J. Yates got drafted. Bren Renner uh, has, has held a clipboard, at least, in the NFL for a couple of seasons. Uh, you know, Marquise Williams is doing well in the CFL. Uh, Mitch Trubisky drafted number two. North uh, Carolina has a steady flow of good quarterbacking play or at least above average quarterback play for all those guys careers and and now they're at a at a juncture in their program where they may be betwixt and between you know that Cade Fortin and Juice Ruder Jace Ruder sorry um they may be turn out to be very very good college quarterbacks and if one of them does turn out to be an excellent college quarterback the other one is likely to transfer right so uh, it is it's such a crapshoot these days and you know as much analytics is available uh, and and the camps that Jason talked about the elite 11 and all the other camps that they have and the ability to evaluate players it's not still not gotten any easier for college football staffs you can do everything right and still end up in a hole like UNC is right now. So, yeah, it's it's a, it's a tough call, Tommy. All right, I got one more break to slide in here, and then I'm going to get it down to the brass tacks and talk about why we're here, why this is the Inside Carolina podcast and not the college football podcast. I'll be right back. All right, so we, we've brought it down to North Carolina quarterbacks. Jason, I tweeted yesterday after watching um, TCU – specifically their quarterback. And I said, you've got to have a quarterback that can get the ball downfield. And um, a lot of people 
took that as me taking a shot at North Carolina. Well, maybe, maybe not. But anyway, how important is that to be able to stretch the field vertically for any offense? Because we had this debate about Nathan Elliott's arm. Uh, you believe it's plenty strong enough to accomplish what's necessary. A lot of people disagree with that. I think you got to be able to get the ball, move the ball downfield. Fortin appears to offer that. Uh, we know what we've seen with Elliott as far as uh, that ability. So your thoughts there moving forward for North Carolina? Yeah, I mean, you have to, especially in, in the kind of offense that Carolina's in, you have to be able to stretch the field vertically. Otherwise, teams are going to – the whole purpose of spreading the field the way that they do is to be able to run the football, Right. But if you can't threaten teams vertically, then they just put an extra guy in the box and say, well, you can't beat us vertically, so we're just going to add the guy that you can't block to the box, and now you're right back to the problem of not being able to block people. So you have to be able to do that. As far as Elliott, his arm is plenty strong enough to, to, to stretch the field. I mean, he's, he's shown he's dropped a few balls, and most of which have been dropped down the field uh, on, uh, on some vertical routes that you know have done fine. Now, his problem is not arm strength on that. I mean, he's not, he doesn't have a strong arm. His problem is not so much arm strength in his inability to uh, stretch the field, but more accuracy downfield. Uh, you know, he's, he's not real accurate down the field and, and timing. And those are bigger problems. Uh, and as far as Fortin, I mean, certainly the ball comes off his hand a lot better. Uh, you know, he throws a much prettier ball. He's got a stronger arm. He's, he, uh, he's got the potential at least to be a good bit more accurate. Uh, when I saw him in practice in the spring, he was still very obviously recovering from, uh, from, from the, uh, the, the, the leg injury and was not, was not as sharp in terms of his ball placement and all that. So the accuracy was not there at the time to really make a big difference. But, you know, if he's fully recovered in that regard and is, and is placing the ball better, then, yeah, then he becomes, he becomes a viable option uh, to do that. But then, of course, you, you still have to make sure that he's going to make right, the right decisions and all that. But, you know, at this stage, you, you may want to roll with that regardless, just because, you know, he may be your best option in terms of being able to, to force the defense to, uh, to account for things that, that they, you know, to account for the constraints that, that you're trying to put on him so you can at least run it. In the way to beat Pitt, throw it downfield, get the ball downfield. Carolina's had a ton of a ton of success doing that um, in Fedora's tenure. Yeah, you got to be able to. You, if you're going to play play a, a, a team that's going to run eighty plus percent quarters, you better be able to to beat them on the uh, on the deep post. You know, you got to be able to throw it in the deep middle, or you're not going to beat a, you're not going to beat a quarter team. See Georgia Tech, they look bad against Pittsburgh because they couldn't get that done. Buck. Uh, Pittsburgh, does this game sort of, in your opinion, and we've had this podcast last week after the East Carolina loss, um, but in, in your opinion, can this Pittsburgh game right the ship significantly for you going forward with the North Carolina program and Larry Fedora as the coach? You know, I, I, I honestly don't think so. I, I would, and I take no pleasure in saying that. But, uh, you know, a win over Pitt is, is not going to uh, really take any of the smell off of the East Carolina loss. That East Carolina loss, uh, 
is going to linger and stick around and continue to be a problem for the rest of this season. I, I don't even – we'll still be talking about the East Carolina loss, I think, you know, well after the season's over with because East Carolina is not a good team. They're, they're just <laughs> – they're not. And North Carolina, as bad as East Carolina was, made East Carolina look confident. And so I, I don't think, regardless of what happens against Pitt, that there's, you know, that that's going to all of a sudden, well, you know, uh, East Carolina was just a fluke and, uh, you know, we've got the ship righted now and everybody played better and blah, 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 blah. I, I don't think that gets you there. I, I just don't. Uh, because of the egg that they laid in Greenville, it's going to take a lot of victories, I think, to erase that stench. And and that that's just my feeling on it. But uh, I'm certain other people will have a take on it, but that, that's where I'm at with it. Jason, your take on that to close the show. Uh, it feels like that the further folks get away from it, the less, at least on our message boards, the less that it bothers folks, but brings it back to the forefront, which I believe it should be at the forefront. But your thoughts on sort of the the restart here for Fedora and North Carolina going into the pit? Yeah, pit's not going to be enough to make up for, for what's happened so far. Um, you know, in order to, to really make up, in order to regain what he would need to regain to to really get in position to maintain this job and uh, recover in recruiting, recover some some fan excitement and all that. Uh, Fedora would not only have to win the the pit job or pit game, but he would have to he would have to probably beat both of the the other rivals, Duke and, and NC State, this year uh, and finish. Say, you know, basically go from zero and two to something like you know eight and four with wins over both rivals. I think that's. If he did that, a lot of people would would probably forgive the start. You don't do that, and you know you lose to both of your both of your rivals again, uh, and I, it's it's it it all just snowballs. So yeah, good stuff, Buck and Jason. Appreciate you joining me on a Sunday after Hurricane Florence has pretty much devastated North Carolina. If you're listening to the show. Uh, means I hope you have power. I hope you're doing well. I hope you're staying safe. Buck, Jason, it's always a pleasure. We'll talk again soon. Thanks, Tommy. Enjoy it, Tommy. Thanks for listening to the Inside Carolina podcast presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with the promo code HEALS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now.